When you love farming, you want to talk about it all the time. Real people, real farms, grassroots. This is the Ontario AgCast. Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast can be heard on the Farm and Rural Ag Network along with lots of other great agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs. My guest today is Jess Olschlegel. Jess, along with her family, operates Harriston Packers in Harriston, Ontario. Jess, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you today? <laughs> I'm okay, except I'm probably going to call you Jen because I, I did that once already. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> you have a sister named Jen, which is not at all confusing for the rest of us. I do. And we look a lot alike, so it happens <laughs> a lot. Okay, so you're a butcher ish yes and a lot of other things on top of that too but mainly that's been my overall outlook on life is being the butcher or more the butcher's daughter yeah your handle on twitter is at butcher's daughter right yes the butcher's daughter yep the butcher's daughter and we'll we'll put that in in the show notes yeah you i guess yeah you're butchering cattle cattle and llamas and pigs and lot of large domestic mammals. <laughs> okay, well, t- tell us about Harrison Packers, for starters, because it's a an interesting story. You're the third generation. I am, and I'm the only one. There's no one else that has really shown any interest in it. I've actually been off on mat leave for the past year, so if anyone's familiar with Harrison Packing, that's why I haven't been around and been a little MIA. But Harrison Packing was founded in 1967 by my OPA. Kurt Oschlegel. A lot of people in the local area will know him. He's no longer with us, but my dad, Robert, and his sister, Barb, and my uncle, his brother, Mark, are now um, passionately sharing the ownership of uh, Harrison Packing. This past year has been our 50th year, um, which is pretty exciting for everyone. And we're one of all the only full-service I want to say slaughterhouses, but it's not really slaughterhouse. It's like a full service from slaughterhouse all the way to retail. So that's kind of neat. Um, you're no longer allowed to open a slaughterhouse that allows for a full retail. So that's kind of a neat little thing, which is, attracts a lot of people because we can do everything in one building. You drop off your cow and you come back and you pick it up and it's in boxes for you and away you go. And you said that other places are not allowed to do that anymore? No, it has to be two separate buildings. There has to be a further processing building and then a slaughterhouse building. And there's a certain distance. But since I am in Harrison Packing, I have the right to keep that building going if I ever chose to, because it's a grandfathered thing. So it has to stay within the family. So that's kind of a neat little tidbit of information um, that a lot of people don't know. So I'm not even sure if someone else was to buy the building, if they would have to convert it into one or the other. We do um, large domestic mammals is our slaughter end of it. So we've done anywhere from llamas to bison, beef, obviously, um, your goats and sheep. Wait. Do people people eat llamas? I guess so. I don't know. We had a llama come in the last time I was there. So I guess I don't know if that's a different nationality thing um, or something that's up and coming niche market. I'm not sure, but it's <laughs> kind of different. I had a guest on last week that wanted to kill an alpaca. Oh, wow. I'm surprised. I am actually surprised we haven't <laughs> seen any 
I've never seen alpaca, yeah. but I, my dad probably has. We have had emu in before because they couldn't fit emus into the standard poultry and bird facilities. So they had to be put through with us. So we had to just do like an emu day, which was kind of different. <laughs> yeah. Have you eaten emu? No, I have not eaten emu. I have not really went out of my realm, actually, in from the beef and pork. No? <laughs> no, I probably should. Yeah, because do you do any any kind of wild game there? Um, we do further processing for wild game. So we can't okay. um, do anything on the kill floor with it, but further processing we can do, yeah. And so do you eat wild game? Yes, yes, I have done that. My partner is big into the whole hunting thing, so I'm kind of forced into it, but I do <laughs> eat it. <laughs> but mostly you would do beef and pork. Beef and pork, yeah. We usually do about 80 to 100 pigs in a week, 20 to 30 beef and then maybe five to 10 of goats or sheep. So yeah, um, a lot of variety. So mostly are you buying those animals and then processing and then selling your own products? How much of it is you guys manufacturing your own products versus custom slaughtering? Actually, a very small percentage is for our own retail store. Um, we do maybe five to six beef a week that are for our own retail to keep everything stocked up. The rest are all um, custom. Pigs will be a bit more. We would do 10 to 20 of our own and the rest would be for either custom. And we do do a few small headspace sales. I think we have like 10 or 12 headspaces for a couple other butcher shops and they bring in their own livestock. We work really closely with Connell Farms as our main beef producer. And he also works with a lot of the restaurants we work with, so it works out really well that way. Pigs are kind of hit and miss. We have a few main guys. We kind of go between them. The pig industry has its up and downs, and everyone's kind of on a different schedule. So we kind of have to rotate through who has pigs when because we use them so frequently. We try to keep everyone consistent on who we use and who we work with. We like the family atmosphere and being able to know the farmers really well and how the animals are treated. Overall, we try to keep it very local. All of our farms are within either Wellington County or just outside of. Well, can we talk sort of the process of slaughtering animals start to finish? Sure, yes. (laughs) So if I'm a farmer and I have beef cattle, I show up at your place with a trailer. Yep. And then what happens? So you'd probably meet Lloyd. He's usually at the door. Lloyd is a very funny man, but he is so good with animals. He will take them off the trailer for you. We are very much about keeping things very calm and quiet. For those who don't know, if the more an animal is stressed out, the tougher the meat is going to end up being in the end. Um, there's lots of science behind it, but it all has to do with adrenaline and blood flow right. and all that fun stuff. He'll load them in and organize them. The day before, people also bring in their animals themselves. We do trust people just to come in and unload the animals by themselves the day before if they really don't want someone else dealing with them. Some people prefer that, and we want to be able to accommodate that preference. So the animals come off the truck, and then they go into a a pen. Yep, into the holding pen. Where they would be overnight for a couple hours. Yep, exactly. Um, And we do provide the water for them, so they're not going without water. And we do let them sit without food just because it keeps things a little bit cleaner on our end for health and safety-wise. So then they'd get brought up into the knocking box. It's either myself or Lloyd that moves the animals. And I take a lot of pride in making sure that the animals are well taken care of and 
stress-free and all that fun stuff. So describe the knocking box. We're getting into a fair bit of detail, but I think that that might be important. Better more than less. (laughs) Right. So when they come out of the pen where they're being held, they aren't in the slaughterhouse. Yes. Basically, the, the knocking box for beef is actually still located within the holding pens because cattle are less stressed out when they can see other cattle. So that way it keeps them a little bit more at ease during everything that's going on. The beef knocking box is basically just a really tight squeeze pen. There's concrete on either side of their head so they can't swing around or cause any injury to themselves or to the person that's going to be using the bolt gun. Normally, it's my dad that does all the bolt gunning just so it's consistent for everyone who asks. The odd time I will, if my dad's away doing something, I'll be his replacement. For those that are familiar with beef, there's a swirl on the center of their heads. Depending on their breeding and genetics, there's sometimes two swirls. Every cow's hide is set a little different, but we usually say um, there's like an X between um, the center of the skull and the eyes, and then there's a line a bit higher that's level with the ears. So you want to meet where the ear line meets the middle of the skull line, and that's where their frontal cortex is to do a proper bolt gun to make sure that everything goes smoothly there knocked unconscious immediately and there's no further pain or suffering to the animal once they are bolt gunned. Right, because that's the that's the point. We want to treat these animals respectfully, give them a good life, and then never let them see the end coming. Oh yeah, like a lot of people get very upset when they see that animals are a little stressed out during the whole bring to the slaughterhouse and getting moved around. And I think a lot of people forget that a lot of these animals have sat either in a pasture or in a barn their whole life. And this just getting on a truck alone is a very Mm -hmm. changing environment for them. So we try to keep it as quiet and calm as possible for these animals when they come in. Obviously, I believe personally that these animals see us as, as a threat. As much as we have fed them their whole lives and give them everything they need, they still see a human as a predatory being. So they are obviously going to be on edge and they are going to be questioning what's going on, not in the thought that they're going to be killed, but just be very aware of what is going on. Same as you would bringing a new puppy home or as you would buying a new horse. I'm really into horses and they are the exact same way when you bring a new horse home on the trailer for the first time. They're alert, they're aware, they're trying to take in their surroundings. So we just want to make those surroundings as comfortable as possible. We do really try our best to make sure that um, they're comfortable. And and if they're a little, little worked up and trying to see what's all going on, that's natural. They're all um, prey animals. Yeah, it's instinct. Okay, so then they're stunned. Yep. What's the next step? So once an animal is stunned, it's actually incredibly surprising how quick it all happens. Within milliseconds, a beef cow will be on the floor. Normally, it's pretty quiet. My dad's rule of thumb is if you can roll your thumb over their eye and their eye doesn't blink or twitch, then that means that you've properly stunned the frontal cortex and that they're no longer feeling any um, nerve pain or any impulses. 
And then there's a large garage door that opens up and that's when they roll out onto the actual kill floor. So it'll be either me or my dad and we'll pull back the head and then you're supposed to cut across their throat in order to open up the major arteries in their neck. And that's how you release the blood out of their system. And that keeps the animal from having any bruising or toughness in the meat. The more blood you can get out, the better. A lot of concern around that part of processing is the animals do kick and they are, once the blood is starting to be released, their muscle memory starts to have um, contractions and their heart is still beating during this. And the only reason that that is needed is so that the blood can be pushed out of the body. If we were to stop the heart right away, then you'd have blood pooling into all the the different muscle groups and that would cause then your bruising and your toughness and um, the meat would actually pro- a lot of the time the inspector we do have an inspector on the floor at all times and the inspector can say like this is no good and then throw it away which we don't want that either well there's so many things to talk about here because this is really fascinating because the one area of farming when we let consumers see what we do and we try and demonstrate how good we are to animals and things the killing process is one that it's not pretty, but it is necessary. It is. And I just, I find it very upsetting sometimes because a lot of the whole behind the scenes get forgotten. And a lot of people see the face of the butcher that's in the retail store. But a lot of the times that guy isn't the same guy you would picture in on the actual kill floor doing the work there. So I think it's important to make sure we remember the guys that are on the kill floor and girls, I guess. (laughs) Well, and because that is such an important, that's when the animal's life ends. And that's when that beef goes from being a living, breathing animal to being food. And you want to have it done exactly right so that it respects the life of the animal, the animal doesn't feel any pain, that the product is safe and is good. Like there's so many important things that have to happen there. It's not fair to have this view of, of someone who kills animals is just this guy with a bolt gun. Yep, exactly. It's just a very interesting dynamic when you have to take into account a life being taken, a sacrifice basically that is going for the betterment of human nourishment. And then on the other end, you have the person that's being nourished that a lot of the times has no idea at all what's happening to that animal or how that animal was treated. They just go to the grocery store and buy it. So you have to take in these two totally different perspectives at the same time and have a proper outcome for both of them. And it's just a very, it's an interesting dynamic to, to really think of. It really is. And, and there's, a couple of, there's a couple of things that I think get lost. And I think we should just maybe touch on. The one is that if you eat a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet, you're doing less harm to animals. And in reality... Any time that we're taking resources and you know using them for for human use, it means that animals are dying. Yeah, even with crops, you're actually taking away habitat for animals. Every time you plow the ground, you're interrupting a whole ecosystem, whether it be bacteria all the way up to your deer and your other type of animal like that. So there's a lot of both sides to things that people don't really see just as the same in a slaughterhouse. Exactly. One is very visible and direct. We kill animals, then we eat them. 
The other is less visible and can be ignored more easily. And I think that's where the ethical sort of slide comes into it a little bit. Like I can pretend if I eat a vegetarian diet that animals didn't have to die because it's not in my face like it is when a a steer comes into the slaughterhouse and you cut their throat and bleed them out. It's very visual and it's it's sort of abrupt. It's it's impossible to ignore. And I think we've tried to ignore it and we've tried to hide it for a long time. Yes, I do agree with that a lot, for sure. Maybe that's where we've gone wrong. I honestly think it is. I think we have distanced ourselves to the point that it's unhealthy. Like for future generations, if we lose our small slaughterhouses that actually allow custom kills, we're going to lose hobby farms. We're going to lose niche markets. We're going to lose, we're just going to have the big guys that are trying to feed everybody, which is great, but you're also distancing the urban population from agriculture to the point that they really can't understand or grasp what's going on, like videos online and photos and information is just not enough, I don't think. I really think there's something more that we can do. And I I do see big changes from when I came back on Twitter after I first started, I think in 2012 or 2013 was when I first had a Twitter account. I actually saw a few slaughterhouse pictures the other day, and I did see a lot with Andrew Campbell and his whole thing has really exploded, um, and people are trying to learn. But I do think there is another step that we need to take in order for people to grasp what's going on. And one group that seems to get the idea that animals have to die for us to eat are hunters. Yes. Because they they are connected with it. And and they'll even talk about that, the connection, you know, and the respect you have for that animal's life. If you've killed it yourself, where the hunters get a little, then they get a little bit sort of self-righteous. They'll say, well, at least the animal I killed lived a natural life in the wild. And that's the other big misconception that people have, I think, is that animals are somehow happier if they're in the wild and then they're harvested via hunting as opposed to an animal that was on the farm and then goes to a slaughterhouse. That's like saying cavemen are just as happy as someone who's living in an apartment in Toronto. Like, that's not a very good comparison. Exactly. Totally different. We provide free medical care for them. We provide unlimited food and dietary needs. Um, There's just so many things that we give to animals. And ultimately, that all gets lost in the fact that we have to kill them in the end. Right. It's an ever-going cycle. We can give animals everything. We can build these big, beautiful dairy barns, and we can have acres and acres of pasture, and we can do everything we can, but it's ultimately going to come down to the argument of if we should kill them or not. So that's kind of the dilemma, I think, that a lot of people are trying to deal with, and that's kind of what I'm trying to help people learn about. Right. Let's talk a little about what you're doing, because... Letting people see what happens in a slaughterhouse, there is no other area where people will get more upset about how their food is raised. Exactly. That is the ultimate place. That is where all the frustration of agriculture really comes down to is that moment where someone pulls the trigger on a bolt gun and that's when people get really upset. Honestly, where people get the most upset, that's where they need to have the most work done. So I think the next step is to really open the doors of the slaughter industry and 
show people that the only way it's going to get better is if we educate ourselves and take the next step from there. So talk to me a little bit about some of the interactions you've had in the past. Since you've been on social media, you you must deal with people that walk in the door at your retail location. Oh my goodness, yes. (laughs) It's crazy. I had um, a lady who drove all the way from Toronto and she kept asking me over and over again where the animals are actually killed. And I kept telling her like, here, like we do all the butchering here. Like I was trying to be very polite about it. And she just kept asking me and kept asking me. She's like, no, no, I mean like where are they killed? Like who kills them? She didn't understand that it was happening in that building that she was in. I'm like, it's in this building. Like it's, I had to keep repeating it to her over and over again. And eventually got to the point where it's like, I killed this animal. You're looking at her and just the change (laughs) on people's face. As soon as you're no longer the retail person and you are the one that has done those things to an animal, their outlook almost changes. It's really funny to see how people interact with you once you've told them that, especially if they're not from an agricultural background. Because they expect that you're somehow sinister or they see you as the henchman. Yeah, they. a lot of people on social media, I hear criminal a lot. And let's be honest public perception of someone that works on a kill floor, even the names, you know, which are accurate, they just, they're not nice. And everything has to these days seems like it has to be about nice. I would imagine that there's not a lot of people whose first choice would be to get a job working at a large commercial slaughter plant on the kill floor. No, and that's the big problem, I think, is no one wants to do it and take responsibility for the animals and the welfare in the actual slaughterhouse and that's why you see a lot of the big factories and stuff and people just work on a line and they have no recollection that they're working with an animal. And I I want to be careful that we don't paint the large commercial packing plants as evil because they're a necessary and they have they have the same regulations and they have to train their employees I wish that it was the kind of a job. Clearly, you take a lot of pride in what in what you do. I wish there was more people that saw it from start to finish and right. actually knew the whole procedure that was behind it. But it's almost become a job. If you work at a large commercial packing plant and someone says at a party, well, what do you do? You're not going to want to tell them exactly. because it's not the kind of thing where people are going to say, oh, that's great, you know, and, and then ask about it. It's unfortunate that those people are almost ashamed of the job they do when, in fact, the job they do is one of the most important aspects of of our food production system. Exactly. And it's just very sad to see people like my Opa who came over here from Germany with the hopes of making um, a difference in his community and providing nourishing, um, well-raised animals. He used to raise the beef himself. And he did a really good job and he really cared. And my dad started off like that. He was very ambitious and he wanted to make a difference and change. And it's getting so overwhelming now and so much work to keep people educated and try to explain. And there's so many new words like there's your all natural and there's your humane and there's organic and there's GMO free and hormone free and It's just so confusing, even for someone in the actual industry, trying to keep the public educated has been just such a chore. And it's 
it makes you very tired of repeating yourself a hundred times a day, trying to upsell that you have the best. And my dad sometimes gets to the point where he says, my beef only eats daffodils. That's all I feed my beef. (laughs) And that's all they'll ever eat. And they're the best thing. And it's just... And then you'll have a hipster go into a restaurant in Toronto and say, can I have some of that daffodil? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so how do we how do we change this perception? You I think it's awesome that you are prepared to step up and say, "Hey, I'm I'm a butcher and I'm proud to be a butcher. Come see what we do." So, I have been working on something called the True Transparency Project. It's actually fairly new. I like just finished up my website and did my first blog post. I am interviewing some people to start a video channel and I'm trying to raise money to open the first ever slaughterhouse that is not just somewhere you can go to the front door and say, I would like to walk through. Um, It's somewhere you can actually go, not have to ask, and it's open to you and it's open to the public. It's open to consumers. It's open to animal welfare activists. It's open to anyone that wants to walk through And a lot of people are scared of that. Won't that turn people away? My dad says it's the dumbest idea he's ever heard. (laughs) He's like, why would you ever want to bring someone in here and show them this? Like, this is like, it's going to not be good. (laughs) It's drastic. It's a big, big thing to just open the doors to. I just tell him, well, the guy who invented the light bulb probably wasn't very convincing when he said he was going to light the room. But as long as there's something we're not prepared to show, that's where people are going to take issue with us. Yeah, exactly. And someone is eventually, I think, down the road, if we don't do it now, it's either not going to happen ever or it's going to be one of those next big things where people are going to be more involved with their food. And I think that's the path I would like the world to take. So if I don't do it, and if no one else does it, we're going to be in big trouble because we're not going to have that small access. I want to just open something little like my dad's where you can actually feel involved and it's going to be custom kills. It's not going to be this huge plant by any means. I just want to try to do my very best to have an environment where People feel like they're learning and especially with school groups and young kids, not to the point I want to like bring them over to a cow that's getting killed and say, watch this. Like that's not the intention. It's more. Well, let's talk about how would you set it up? Like what, what would you have to do from a regulatory standpoint? Like you can't just have people sort of walking around on the processing floor. (laughs) It's not like it's going to be wandering around on the kill floor in white jackets. I'm thinking more museum style, like it's behind glass, Ah. but you can physically see. And I'm not trying to do like killing every day. And like, it's going to be more a couple times a week. Um, There'll be a calendar put up. When you walk in the doors, all the coolers will be lined with glass. So even for feed companies or genetic companies or universities, They can um, view all the different animals that are there, all the different carcasses, all the holding pens will be open so you can see that the animals are not stressed out and that they're being well taken care of and they have water and that the workers are doing their their best job. The one thing that is going to be a hard thing to do is figure out how to display actually killing animals. And to put it into context, because to just see it, 
It's not like a 30 second audio clip that can go along with it and people go, okay, that's good. Oh, that's better. There needs to be a person there because more people, most of the people going through, I would imagine, are going to go, oh my God. And then they're going to have questions. And then it's part of that discussion, I think, that that moves us together. Exactly. In one of my blog posts, I talk about food is either going to divide us or it's going to unite us. And someone has to take that standpoint and say, I'm the person that wants to unite us because I'm probably one of the few of my generation that has been in a slaughterhouse that I know I could personally do a whole process on a cattle beast or on a pig by myself without any help. I do think though, with the actual bolt gunning and stuff, that will be kept for farmers who bring in their livestock. Because we have to remember, too, that it's an animal and it's a life. And we really, really need to respect that. So just having people gawking at these animals getting shot is not the right way to right. go about it. No. But if there was somebody that really did want to want to see that, you know, to sit down with them and have a conversation and say, here's what you need to to know ahead of time. Exactly. So maybe if people are willing to go through an educational program, you have a few visits, we talk to you about everything else. Um, I would love to do classes for like even cooking or how to prepare Mm -hmm. proper meals with different meats and different alternatives you can use, stuff like that. They can go through different workshops. And then once they feel personally prepared, they're more than welcome to view it. But I do think we do have to tread very lightly with allowing this is a big change for especially people in an urban setting um so there'll be some sort of system we'll have to work out that way of how we're going to allow people um but from skinning like once the animal has been fully calmed down and put up onto the cradle which is where they're um, being skinned that i think from then on is okay to watch yep because as much as people think it's a gore scene, it's actually fairly clean. Like there is minimal blood. There's minimal disgustingly going on. There's obviously going to be some <laughs> stuff that goes on. But it's real. Again, it's one of those things where people are so removed that they think of of a steak as something that comes on a styrofoam plate at the grocery store. They should be able to see some of that stuff. Oh, of course. And that's how they're going to make correct choices. That's how we're going to change yeah. animal welfare because... People don't realize that their choice that they're making buying the two ninety nine a pound chicken, they don't know that that's their conscious vote of how animals should be raised. So teaching them that, that their purchase is what's making the difference. So if they're going to pay for something that's extremely cheap with no background behind it that they actually do their research and figure out the best place to buy from if you choose to keep buying from the best place everyone else is forced to be the best place because that's all people are buying that's what's led to this disconnect for sure so if we're going to change that how can we how can we help what do you hope for this project and what do you need from people so at this point it's very very new i kind of just said i kept thinking about it for so long and i'm like okay i just have to do this i just have to like Start a little page and that's how anyone starts, I guess. Shares of posts are really helpful, even just something simple like that. Once I get um, my video channel up, I would love for people to watch and share. And um, I'm hoping that I can make that into my mainstream of income for um, raising money to open a facility like this. Because obviously opening something 
in the meat industry is not cheap, which is why people aren't nope. just popping up little slaughterhouses everywhere anymore. And so to make this work, presumably, so you have a GoFundMe page. I do. I, I have just kind of figured that out the other day. I linked it into <laughs> my um, blog and stuff, and I'm going to try to make that pop up on more pages. I went to school for marketing, so I'm trying to use my <laughs> marketing skills. Put it to good use. Yep, exactly. And then once the seed funding and there's some crowdfunding in place, presumably you'll be looking for some corporate partners. Oh, and, yes, and maybe some... that would be wonderful. I would love to find sponsors or partners or investors or people who really want to change the food industry and think that this is the route that we need to go and this is how we're going to make change. And I think there's no better place than here in Ontario, Canada to make that big of a difference. And I'm hoping if something like that happens, it can slowly do a ripple and make a big change. So if there's any um, egg companies or even non-egg companies, any type, I'm open to suggestions. <laughs> I'm trying to persuade my dad into it. <laughs> he said if I can get <laughs> some other people kind of going on it that he wants to see, he's a proof kind of guy. <laughs> he needs the proof. <laughs> I will offer up any help that, that we can, except with your dad. You're on your own there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll try to figure that okay. out with him. I'm, I've been bringing this up at dinner conversations forever and he still kind of shakes his head at me and thinks I'm a nut job but <laughs> well I think it's an extremely worthwhile project and just knowing you a little bit we've talked a couple of times and having followed you on social media I think you are the perfect person to spearhead this I, I love the way that you talk about being a butcher and you talk about being part of that family business I wish that everybody that was in the slaughter industry felt the kind of pride and talked the way that you talk about about what you do. So I, I really appreciate that you're part of the conversation around agriculture. Thank you. I really hope it makes at least a little bit of difference to somebody. So, <laughs> Well, we're going to do what we can and get behind the True Transparency Project. We'll put some info along with this with the show, and we'll see if we can't get a little bit of traction here. Thanks, thanks for joining me and chatting today. Yeah, not a problem at all. This has been the Ontario AgCast. Please go back to Twitter, give us a retweet, give us a rating on iTunes. It helps us grow the audience. Be sure to check out all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs on the Farm and Rural Ag Network, farmruralag.com. If this is the last podcast we ever do, it's been fun. If not, we'll see you next time.